0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can gather in your name this morning. And we thank you that we know that we hear your voice through your word. So, Lord, we pray that you may indeed bless us as we, your children, as sons and daughters of the kingdom, listen to our Heavenly Father's voice. We pray that we may be indeed blessed. We pray that we may be strengthened. May we love Jesus Christ all the more as a result of coming to this morning's service and hearing from your word. We pray that you may indeed equip me by your Holy Spirit to speak what is truthful. May I not teach error here this morning, but may I teach what is right and according to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think we all recognise that placing hands on other people can convey different messages. Sometimes it can convey discipline. Sometimes it can just convey hatred, particularly when the hand is laid on as a fist. Uh, We all know what what message is being sent then. But we also know that hands touching other people can convey love as well and celebration and praise. In our house... When you do something right, uh, particularly with the children, Jill and I do not express uh, praise to one another in this way, but with the kids, when they do something right, high fives are given all round. And there may be multiple high fives where we slap hands together and then they proceed from one to the next and the other members of the household. And if someone refuses, as one of the other children might to the other child, to high five that person... Uh, There is strong encouragement uh, coming from the parents towards that child that is not compliant in that case. We recognise that the slapping of hands together really encourages one another in the home to do what is right. And when we've done that right thing, that we should be honoured by it, by the slapping of hands together. And this morning we're going to look at the subject of laying on of hands on one another... Because it comes up for us in the passage that we're looking at in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 2. We've been slowly working through the book of Hebrews. Maybe some of you think too slowly. If you do, let me know at some point and uh, I might consider what you have to say. But this morning we've come through chapter 6, which is found on page 1187, and we're up to verse 2 and it speaks about the laying on of hands there. But I'll read from verse 1 of chapter 6. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. In previous weeks, we've unpacked these verses and seen that we are encouraged here by the author of Hebrews to leave elementary teachings and go on to maturity. And we've been looking at what are the elementary teachings then of Christianity which we are supposed to leave and move on from. And we've seen in previous weeks what repentance from acts that lead to death are. What repentance truly is and how we need to move on from that. We've seen what it means to have faith in God and what it means then to move on from that. And last week we looked at the subject of baptism because it's the very next in the list. Instructions about baptisms. And we looked at baptism in plural and what that means and how we are to move on from the subject of baptism. And so this week we come to the very next one in the list, number four, the laying on of hands. And so we ask ourselves this morning, what is meant by this laying on of hands? It's meant to be a foundational truth of Christianity, Christianity, an elementary teaching. What does it mean? Obviously, we should know about this subject of laying on of hands. What is the author getting at by bringing this subject up? And so that brings me to my first main point this morning. If you've got a church bulletin there, you can see on the back my main points. And my first is that the laying on of hands meant many things in the early church. The laying on of hands meant many things in the early church. For example, we see firstly that the laying on of hands meant blessing someone. And no one illustrates this better for us than Jesus Christ himself when he draws children to himself. And what does he do? In Mark chapter 10 verse 16 it says, And he, that is Jesus, took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. Just like we today pat a child on the head or pat it on the back and convey a blessing, so Jesus did that here with children in the New Testament. And so laying on of hands can convey the idea of blessing. We also see in the New Testament that laying on of hands conveyed healing. We see this with Jesus. We read in Luke chapter 4, verse 40 When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one he healed them and also paul gives an example of this as well when he shipwrecked on the island of malta we read in acts chapter 28 verse 7 paul went in to see him that is the father of the chief of malta and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him he was sick and unwell the father of the chief of malta publius and Paul goes in to see him, and he puts his hands on this guy, and he comes; he is healed. So we see in the New Testament, we've got blessing, we've got healing given by laying on of hands. Also in the New Testament, there's the concept of ordination, when you set apart people for a particular task in the church. That laying on of hands was used as well. For example, uh, with the elder Timothy. Paul talks about Timothy and says to him, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy was an elder in the early church and Paul reminded him that he had laid his hands on him. And so we do that when we ordain elders in our church. We lay our hands on them and pray over them as we commission them, ordain them, for the task of being an elder in the church. But it's not only elders that are ordained by laying on of hands in the New Testament, we also see deacons. In Acts chapter 6, verse 6, the very first deacons are chosen by the early church, and then it says, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So we see deacons. Deacons, we understand, to be those of a church who do more administration tasks, whereas the elders do the job of teaching, and... It's not only elders and deacons that have their hands laid on them for the task as well, for, ta- for ordination. We also see that with missionaries. We read in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so this is an early church, they're worshipping, they're fasting, And the Holy Spirit says to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And then you see Paul and Barnabas go on quite a missionary journey. We see that missionaries have hands put upon them as they are set apart for the task of taking the gospel from the church that they're at to another part of the world. So we see hands are laid on people for blessing... Hands are laid on people for healing. We see hands are laid on people for ordination, for setting people apart for a particular task. And fourthly, we also see in the New Testament that hands are laid on people to impart the Holy Spirit. We see Peter and John give the Holy Spirit in Samaria by laying on of hands in that passage that we just looked at, we just had read for us in Acts chapter 8. Turn with me to that in page 1086 of your Black Church Bibles. Page 1086, Acts chapter 8, verse 14. 1086 of the Black Church Bibles, Acts chapter 8, verse 14. And we see here the Holy Spirit given by the laying on of hands. We read in verse 14, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them That they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we see these people, they've committed themselves to the church, they've even been baptized but they have not received the Holy Spirit. And so the apostles come, they lay their hands on these people, and they receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. And then another example of this is in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, flip with me for a few pages over, if you're already there, in Acts chapter 8 to page 1099. 1099. Acts chapter 19, and we'll read from verse 1, where we see the Apostle Paul give the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. Acts chapter 19, verse 1, we read, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. So here we see another example of the laying on of hands and the Holy Spirit coming. There is baptism, then the laying on of hands and the Holy Spirit comes on these people. So then the question is, there's these different types of laying on of hands in the New Testament. Which one is the author of Hebrews referring to when he says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, the laying on of hands? What is he getting at? Is he referring to all of these types of laying on of hands, of blessing, of ordination, of healing, of giving of the Holy Spirit? Which one is he focused on if he's just going to focus on one? Now, I wrestled with this a bit this week because people have varied opinions on this. A lot of people speak that it's about ordination, that the, the elementary teaching here in Hebrews chapter 6 is speaking of. But I think... And I think for a few reasons, which I'll explain in a minute, I think that it's about giving of the Holy Spirit. And so my second main point this morning is laying on of hands here in Hebrews means the giving of the Holy Spirit. The laying on of hands here in Hebrews means the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I say that? Well, firstly, the laying on of hands of Peter, John, and Paul in Samaria and then in Ephesus with Paul come immediately after baptism. There's baptism, then they lay the hands, and the Holy Spirit comes. What do we see happen here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2? It speaks about instructions about baptism, then the laying on of hands. So we see baptism clearly in the context of the laying on of hands here. And so that twigs me to the fact that the other instances of laying on of hands in the New Testament, the healings, the uh, blessing, the ordination they don't come immediately after baptism. Whereas in the examples of the giving of the Holy Spirit, they come immediately after baptism. And so here we see this here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2. Instructions about baptism, then the laying on of hands. But that's not my only reason to thinking that the laying on of hands here refers to the giving of the Holy Spirit. We've got to remember that the giving of the Holy Spirit is indeed a foundational and elementary teaching about Christ. Is ordination a foundational teaching about Christ? Because this is what the text says here. It says that these things are elementary truths of Christianity. These things are foundational truths. When you're explaining to a new believer about Christianity, do you go into the details of ordination and how laying on of hands is necessary? Or what about healing? Now, for some people... In the book I just reviewed to you, healing is a big part of Christianity. And so when you are told about Christianity, you say, oh, yes, you need to repent, you need to believe, and healing will come. But I don't think that's what the New Testament teaches, as I already made clear in my book review this morning. And what about blessing? Well, blessing is indeed a part of being a Christian, but is that something that you focus on in the early stages while you're teaching someone about being a Christian? Well, what about the Holy Spirit? Is a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the fact that you need to receive the Holy Spirit, a fundamental of Christianity? I say yes. Because without the Holy Spirit, you can't do anything that pleases God. You can't repent. You can't believe. You can't do good works for which you're created to do. You need the Holy Spirit if you are to serve God in any way that pleases him. And so an understanding about the Holy Spirit is crucial to people as they're understanding Christianity. It's a foundational teaching of Christianity. It's an elementary teaching of Christianity, as we're told here in Hebrews chapter 6, that he's going through elementary truths. And I believe that that's what he's referring to here, that as these early Christians were taught, they were taught about repentance, which is what's there in in verse one, from accidentally to death, and then they're taught about faith in God, and then they're taught about the Holy Spirit. Just like Paul, when he gets to that place and he says there, "What baptism have you received? What have you have you got the Holy Spirit?" And they go, "We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit." And so, what does Paul say? Oh, that don't worry about him. Don't worry about the Holy Spirit. No, he says, "This is important. You need to know about the Holy Spirit." And so, we see here listed amongst. The fundamentals of Christianity, there's a mention of the laying on of hands because we've got to remember that the early church would have known about the apostles and known about these instances where the Holy Spirit was given by the laying on of hands. We know that the people, well, the author of Hebrews at least, knew the apostles. Just go back with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, page one one eight four. And it says, uh, it starts off in the middle of a sentence, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Then it says, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him, who heard him, the apostles. And what have the apostles done? They've confirmed the message, the good news, to these hearers, uh, either the the people of who, the guy who's writing the letter or even the early church here that is has this letter sent to them that has the letter of Hebrews sent to them. So they know about the apostles, and I'm sure they knew about the laying on of hands and the giving of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. So then what would the author of Hebrews been wanting the people to understand about the Holy Spirit? What would he have said is a foundational teaching that I want you to know about through the laying on of hands the Holy Spirit coming. What would he have taught? If he was to go into great detail, which he says, I don't need to. Well, I kind of need to, but I'm not going to reteach these things. I'm going to go on to more important doctrines. What would that have been? Well, I think we have to remember other things about the Holy Spirit that are taught in the New Testament as well. And we must remember that the Holy Spirit is given without the laying on of hands as well. The Holy Spirit was given in the New Testament without the laying on of hands. And that brings me to my third main point this morning. The Holy Spirit was given without the laying on of hands. For example, in in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles themselves, is it through someone laying hands on them? No, there's no mention of the laying on of hands. And then we see many baptisms in the New Testament, in Acts particularly, where there is no laying on of hands mentioned and the Holy Spirit coming upon people after that. For example, the Pentecost baptisms where they baptise a whole bunch of people. There's no mention of the laying on of hands. Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he's baptised. No mention of the laying on of hands. The Philippian jailer is baptised in Acts chapter 16 and there's no mention of the laying on of hands. Are these people all people who didn't receive the Holy Spirit? Well, no, we know that these are people who received the Holy Spirit because they repent, they believe, they do what the Holy Spirit does in people's lives. Bring them to repentance and give them faith in Christ. And when we face it, the only two instances of the Holy Spirit giving by laying on of hands are by Peter and John and Paul. Who are they? They're apostles. Do we have apostles everywhere in the early church in the New Testament? No. The apostles are a very limited crowd. If you can only receive the Holy Spirit by apostles, then much of the early church would not receive the Holy Spirit. Because the apostles can't be everywhere. They're not omnipresent. So they can't be everywhere and lay hands on people. And so the Holy Spirit must come, not just through the laying on of hands. That's a very special way for a very special time. But he comes because God sends him through Jesus Christ to us. And he does not need to come through the laying on of hands. And that's the same for us today. There is a Holy Spirit given by God, And we do need to know what he does. We do need to know that he exists and that he does. He brings repentance in our lives. He brings faith in our lives. He brings us to do good things, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. He produces the fruit in our lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're all fruit of the Spirit. We need to know that. And then we need to know that we can receive the Holy Spirit without the laying on of hands. We need to understand that. Then how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? Well, if you repent and believe. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, gives a very good formula to know if you've got the Holy Spirit inside you. Paul says, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Can you say, Jesus is Lord? that he is truly Lord over your life. You can only do that if you have the Holy Spirit inside you. That's a good test. If you want to know if you have the Holy Spirit, can you say Jesus is Lord? So then what is the author's point here by bringing up the subject of laying on of hands? Why does he bring up this subject which would have immediately switched the, the hearers' minds to the fact of the Holy Spirit given by the apostles? Why is he bringing this up here? Well, it's because he wants people to move on from thinking about the Holy Spirit being imparted to them. And that brings me to my fourth main point this morning, the, teacher, the teaching of the Holy Spirit being given must be left behind. The teaching of the Holy Spirit being given must be left behind. Now, receiving the Holy Spirit is important. You must have the Holy Spirit. It is a crucial doctrine of the Christian faith. And if you're not a Christian, you should hunger for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and turn your life around, to bring you to repentance before God and trust in Christ's death for you. Because if you do not have the Holy Spirit inside you, you will not please God and you will not have an inheritance in heaven. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, I encourage you, pray to God and ask for his Holy Spirit this morning to come and live inside you and produce in you repentance and faith and then good works, love towards your fellow man and love toward God. Do that now. Don't delay because if you do not do that, if you do not ask God for his Holy Spirit, if you do not have God's Holy Spirit living in you, producing repentance and faith, then you will not go to heaven and instead you'll be punished eternally for the sins that you have committed. But if you are a Christian, you should move on from considering all the time whether you have the Holy Spirit or not. You shouldn't constantly wonder if you have the Holy Spirit, because that's what He's wanting you to do here. In chapter six, verse one, the author says, "Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death." And I've spoken about that before—that we don't continually think, "Have I repented? Am I saved?" And then we don't go on to—we uh, don't keep on going with faith in God in the sense that I keep examining myself: Do I have faith in God? And then the next thing is, that we're meant to move on from is laying on of hands. And if that's about the Holy Spirit, then I, in which I believe it to be, then we can get too much focused upon, do I have the Holy Spirit or not? And always be thinking, do I need someone to come and lay their hands on me before I'm a Christian? And if someone did, was that the right person? Or Really, I missed my boat because there's no more apostles anymore. Peter and John and Paul are long gone so, how do I get the Holy Spirit? And so I'm constantly thinking about, am I a Christian or not? Just like some people think, have I repented properly? Have I believed properly? Have I got the Holy Spirit inside me? And they never actually move on in their understanding about Christianity because they're always focusing on, am I a Christian? In the sense, have I got the Holy Spirit? We should examine whether we have the Holy Spirit indeed. We should know about the Holy Spirit and examine our lives. And if we see repentance in our lives, if we see faith in our lives, and if we see love towards those around us, if we see a changing attitude in our lives and an interest in God and an interest in our fellow men and how we can help them, then know that you have the Holy Spirit and move on. Don't keep considering, have I got him or not? That's what the author is telling us here to do. He wants us to move on from such elementary teachings and go on to maturity. Now, what is maturity? What should we be moving on to? Well, as I've said, as we've been unpacking these verses again and again, we need to move on to an understanding about righteousness, and particularly the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We saw that back in verse 13 of chapter 5. Verse 13 of chapter 5, we read, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. If you're immature, you are not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So that means you are acquainted with the ideas of repentance and faith and the Holy Spirit, but you're not acquainted with righteousness. And as we'll see in later chapters to come, as we slowly work through this book, it's on and on about Jesus Christ and his righteousness, his atoning sacrifice that is given for us. That is what we need to focus on. Yes, we need to consider repentance. Yes, we need to consider faith. Yes, we need to consider the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives. But what we need to move on to then is to the righteousness of Christ. Because when suffering comes, when trouble comes into your life, when doubts come into your heart, examination of whether you've got the Holy Spirit or not is not going to help you because you're still doubting, you're still vacillating. But if you've moved on from those things, you've considered whether you have the Holy Spirit and you've seen evidence of his fruit in your life and so you are fairly sure, yeah, I'm great, I've got the Holy Spirit. And then you moved on to righteousness of Jesus Christ and understood more fully what it means that he died on the cross for you. When doubts come along, when suffering comes along, you'll focus on Christ and his righteousness and you'll withstand the suffering, the doubts, the troubles, the pain that comes into your life because you know you've got a solid rock which you're built upon. And that's not your repentance. That's not your faith. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the rock of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Because remember, that's what your repentance is built upon and your faith is built upon. And the Holy Spirit, he comes from Christ. Christ and his righteousness needs to be something that you yearn for as a Christian not going to the elementary teachings all the time. They're important. They're the basics. But you should want to grow in your understanding of Jesus Christ because, let's face it, you need the Holy Spirit, but what does the Holy Spirit delight to do? Exalt Jesus Christ. And so he's not going to be distressed that you're focusing on Christ instead of him because that's what he wants you to do. He's sent by Jesus Christ to bring a love in your life for Christ. Yes, the Holy Spirit's of vital importance, but he's not the focus, and he doesn't want to take that glory. He wants the glory to be centred on Christ, and then Christ wants the glory to be centred on the Father. That's the way they work. So the laying on of hands, yes, it was important in the early church and what we conveyed, the Holy Spirit being given, The author wanted people to move on from that subject. Don't worry about Peter, John, and Paul giving the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. Yes, understand who the Holy Spirit is, but then move on to what we'll see in later chapters of Hebrews. Christ and his atoning sacrifice and the righteousness that is of Christ and then that righteousness that is given to you. That should be our focus as Christians. So my questions for you this morning are, have you received the Holy Spirit? Do you know you have the Holy Spirit because you have confessed Christ Jesus as Lord, because you've seen repentance in your life, because you've seen faith in your life, because you've seen good works coming through? Then, if that is yes, have you then moved on? Or are you still focusing on the Holy Spirit at the expense of focusing on Christ and his righteousness? Let us speak with our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the precious gift of your Holy Spirit. Without him, we are nothing. We're still sinners, wretched in your eyes. But we thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit through the Son into our lives to grant us repentance, to grant us faith, and to help us do the good works which you have prepared for us. But Lord, we pray that we may not have doubts and struggles and confusion in our mind about the Holy Spirit and particularly whether he is in our lives. May we look for evidence in our lives that he is present and may we then move on to focusing on Christ and his righteousness. May we cling to him as the cornerstone, the foundation stone, upon which we will be firm when we are attacked by the evil one. May Christ and his righteousness be the focus point of our lives and may we always give glory to him. We pray this in his name. Amen.